Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Today we're talking about food-based phytoestrogens. These are powerful plant foods that will help you balance your estrogen levels. So listen in to find out what they are and why they're important for midlife, the different families of phytoestrogenic foods, and we're going to share some ideas of how you can regularly add them to your everyday food plan so that you can help balance estrogen levels. Welcome to the Healthy Woman, Healthy Runner mini-series. Please join Aileen Smith and Karen Campbell, nutritionist friends and runners. During the mini-series, we'll be spotlighting key challenges women face as they approach midlife. Women tell us that they're really uncomfortable with the way their body shape is changing and are noticing how their energy levels and running performance is suffering too. So it's our mission to help women be in great shape, bypass midlife health challenges and continue to enjoy their running. So we've designed our Healthy Woman Healthy Runner method and that's for the woman who requires the most time efficient and easy method to be the best she can be. During each mini episode we'll be helping you take some easy action. The suggestions we make during this episode are for guidance and advice only and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Aileen and Karen to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Hi everyone and welcome back. I'm Karen and I'm here once again with Aileen and today we're going to be giving you a snapshot of phytoestrogens for midlife. Now phytoestrogens are compounds found in certain plant foods which have effects in the human body that are similar to that of the body's natural estrogen. Now Eating foods containing these phytoestrogens could be supportive to midlife women because production of a natural estrogen tends to fluctuate during those perimenopause times and then declines in postmenopausal years. Now, we have talked about phytoestrogens in many of our episodes. However, today we thought we'd showcase their nutritional properties and share some ideas on how you may add these foods to your everyday food plan to support that female sex hormone balance. So what we'll do is we'll start with outlining what phytoestrogens are and why are they important in midlife. Then we'll go on to discuss the different families of phytoestrogens, then give you some ideas of how you might easily add phytoestrogens into your food plan and then finish with a one-day food plan that you might want to consider. So please do listen until the end of this episode because we do have a special invitation for you. So from there, I'm going to move on and just say hi um, to you, Aileen. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Karen. Looking forward to having a chat. 
Yeah, absolutely. So maybe um, you could start by sharing a bit more information on what phytoestrogens are and how they could help us biologically. Yeah, sure, Karen. So phytoestrogens are, are often described as estrogen mimickers and modulators. Uh, the mimickers because they have a similar chemical structure to the estrogen that our body naturally produces. And they're known as modulators because they may support increasing or decreasing the estrogen levels in the body, either by activating or blocking estrogen receptor sites. Yes, and the ability to increase estrogen activity is important, particularly during the menopause transition and in postmenopausal years when our natural estrogen levels are fluctuating and then declining. And also, some women may have an estrogen dominant status, which may be an issue really at any stage in a woman's life, not just in midlife. So phytoestrogens blocking excess estrogen activity might also be supportive. Yeah, they're they're really powerful uh, nutrients. And the theory is that phytoestrogenic foods and supplements may act in this estrogen-like manner when natural estrogen is low and therefore they're compensating uh, for natural estrogen. And and as you said, when there's a a situation where there's excessive estrogen, what they do is block the action action of estrogen and therefore they're promoting estrogen balance. So that is a very simplistic description of how the phytoestrogens might support estrogen balance. Now, natural estrogen works by binding to estrogen receptor cells. uh, And these cells are distributed uh, in various different parts of the body. So um, the wide ranging, I think that's the thing to always think about estrogen, you know, that it works in every part of the body. Yeah, absolutely. It is far reaching. Their effects are far reaching. Now, Aileen, you were speaking about these um, estrogen receptor cells. Could you um, maybe tell us a bit more about the role of the estrogen receptors? Yeah, well, there are two types of estrogen receptor cells. Uh, One is known as the alpha estrogen receptor and the other one is known as the beta estrogen receptor. Um, What you find is the alpha uh, receptors are predominantly in the uterus, the ovaries and the breasts. So, you know, typically the female sex hormonal areas, if you like, and the beta uh, estrogen receptor cells are mainly found in the nervous system, also the ovaries, the cardiovascular system, and also in the male reproductive system. So what happens is that when estrogen binds to a receptor cell, that initiates an activation of a chemical signal, and and then that will activate an action related to a particular body function. And the compounds within phytoestrogens interact um, and activate these estrogen receptors in a very similar way to natural estrogen. Um, So the body interprets the chemical signal from the phytoestrogen compound in the same way as it would with a naturally produced estrogen. But what is really important to know is that the phytoestrogens, which activate um, estrogen receptors, they do it in a, in a much weaker, milder manner than natural estrogen. So they don't bind as strongly to the receptors 
and they will get similar responses, but it will be a milder response. So not quite as good as natural estrogen, but you know, they're, they're helping. Also, um, it's interesting to know that phytoestrogens are classed as SERMs, and you might read that, um, you know, if, you, if you're looking at any uh, literature. And SERM stands for Selective Estrogen Receptor Modulators, meaning that they preferentially um, decide what to do, basically. So they'll, they'll either affect the alpha estrogen receptors or the beta estrogen receptors. And that's, I think, where this concept of modulating up or down comes so activating or blocking mm, so when you you speak about it like this they're very clever little compounds aren't they they are indeed yes. yeah absolutely okay so Aileen shall we just recap on why including phytoestrogens in our food plants are supportive for for us as all of us as midlife women yeah, well, the reason that we're talking about phytoestrogens uh, today as part of the Healthy Woman, Healthy Runner series is that um, including phytoestrogens as part of our diet will help us manage and minimize the typical symptoms that women experience during the menopause transition. So, you know, we're all familiar with the, these, you know, these symptoms. So things like hot flushes, night sweats, muscle aches and pains, dry itchy skins, changes in libido, vaginal dryness, mind fog, mood swims, poor sleep. You know, there's there's a, a, an array of different symptoms that um, are related to the menopause. Um, and they're commonly experienced by women in the menopause transition, so in that perimenopause leading up to the menopause, and also sometimes in the postmenopausal years too. Um, so when when estrogen levels are fluctuating, uh, particularly during the perimenopause or when they're diminishing postmenopause, um, we're really suggesting that using dietary phytoestrogens as one part of a multifactorial approach might be helpful in managing symptoms. So that's why we're talking about these foods and, and we'll get into the detail of the food a little bit more uh, yeah. later on. Absolutely. And I do think it's a good point to make, Aileen, that it's a, a multifactorial approach that you want to to have towards your health during this time. It's just not one, you know, it's not just the phytonutrients. It's about everything else that's done and that holistic approach to, to managing the symptoms. Now, there is a huge body of research into phytoestrogens and how they could influence female health and other aspects of health as well. Um, and most most of the studies are based on supplements that contain these phytoestrogenic compounds. Now, as ever, the more you read the research, the more confusing and inconclusive it, it can become. However, what we're going to do today is we're going to um, focus on a food first approach. And the aim is that by adding these phytoestrogenic foods on a regular basis, it may help contribute towards um, a dietary approach to balancing the female hormones, whatever phase of life you're in. Now, we believe that eating the, these phytoestrogenic foods as part of your everyday food plan might not be a magic bullet, but will hopefully um, contribute towards the management of that estrogen balance. Therefore, hopefully the management of the different um, the different 
effect that you're maybe experiencing as you're transitioning through that perimenopause and menopause phase. So Aileen, can you maybe tell us a little about the different types of phytoestrogens that there are? Yeah, well, uh, I think the main thing to know is that there are phytoestrogens in most plant foods. So um, just by eating a wide range of vegetables and fruits, that will supply a variety of phytoestrogenic uh, foods and compounds. And the important thing is to do that regularly. However, there are some foods that have got a higher content of phytoestrogens. So it might be that focusing on these particular foods uh, could support key aspects of health. So broadly speaking, there are four categories of phytoestrogens. And within each category, there are more classifications. Um, so I'm not going to go into all of those different classifications today um, because there's a lot. Um, but the main categories uh, are names that you may have heard of, if, you know, if, if it's a, an area that you're interested in. So there's um, isoflavins, lignans, cumistans and st still beans. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about them one by one. So the isoflavins to begin with. Um, they, you'll find that uh, foods high in isoflavins are things like soybeans and legumes, so uh, lentils, beans, peas. Uh, and the soybean products include things like tofu, tempeh, edanami beans, and then the typical sort of soybean products like soy milk and soy yogurt. Now, there's a lot of confusion about whether soy products are good for health or not. Um, and I think this goes back um, sort of probably a couple of decades ago. So it was it was recognized that uh, women in Asian countries uh, ate a high proportion of fermented soy based foods. So, you know, we're thinking of Chinese women and Japanese women in particular. Um, and it was noted by scientists that having this high proportion of these fermented soy based foods as a regular part of their food plan uh, that this was associated with a lower prevalence of female estrogen-driven cancers. Um, so just to um, sort of uh, illustrate that, uh, there was a meta-analysis uh, that was published back in 2013, and that analysed data from 22 studies. Um, what re researchers found was amongst Asian women, those who consumed the most isoflavins compared with those who consumed the least – that these women had a 32% lower risk of breast cancer. And they also noted that there was a protective effect observed for both pre- and postmenopausal cancers too. Um, so that's just a little bit of information to back up this idea that, uh, you know, potentially eating uh, fermented soy-based products is um, health-promoting and cancer-preventative. Yeah, I think that's really reassuring information, isn't it? Because I know that there's a lot of speculation around whether a, a high consumption of soy-based foods might promote breast cancer in, in some women. So I was just wondering if you could maybe tell us a bit more about that speculation around the, the, the potential for it to promote breast cancer. And another area of concern um, is also relating to the isoflavins impacting on thyroid health. Could you maybe tell us a bit more about that, Aileen? Yeah, sure. So with regards to the promotion of breast cancer, um, so whilst the, cons the concern 
you know, about breast cancer seems to be a bit odds with what we've just been saying there about the observations on the Asian populations. Um, but the background seems to be that isoflavins may promote in some people, in some women, specific gene expression, which may influence breast cancer. So, you know, that's, I suppose, a, a, a reason why uh, some women um, develop breast cancer because they have a genetic uh, predisposition and the, the eating the soy foods might um, switch on that gene expression. Um, I think another thing to bear in mind is that, um, you know, it, it would appear that different populations process and metabolize these foods in different ways. So it could be that the Asian and the Chinese um, and the Japanese populations um, are genetically made up in a different way to the Western uh populations. So that that might be a little bit of uh, background to that. And with regards to soy consumption and thyroid health, um, you know, generally speaking, clinical trials show that soy products don't affect the thyroid in healthy people. However, soy isoflavins may bind to iodine, which the body uses to make thyroid hormones, which might result in some people not having enough available um, iodine to make appropriate amounts of thyroid hormones. So in both cases, what I would say is if you are, you know, concerned about the potential effects of soy consumption, you really would be best to discuss it with your um, health or medical professional or find alternatives to your food plan because, you know, you don't have to go down the soy route if that's something that's of concern to you. You could just concentrate on the legumes that we talked about. Um, so, Karen, I know that you eat soya a lot as part of your vegetarian food plan. I just wondered if you've got any tips on using soy products as part of an everyday food plan, taking into account the typical kind of health concerns that we've been talking about. Yes, absolutely. And you're right, Aileen, I do tend to use soy and fermented soy um, quite a bit in my in my diet. And regarding these, what I would suggest is that maybe you limit their intake to one portion two to three times a week and and also just ensure that the soy that you purchase is fermented um it's organic and or that it's free from um gm so ensuring that it's non-gm sources and um really by by limiting your intake you're not going to go into that risk of over consuming the soy product but you'll still be eating it on a regular basis which is going to support um, hormone health now also what i would say here is um that it's important to avoid foods containing soy isolate um i would suggest that you have foods that are derived only from the whole soybean um because soy isolate is highly processed with really very little nutrient val value and has been associated with some female health concerns. So it's best to avoid 
the highly processed forms of soy products. So things like soy spread, soy yogurt, etc. So um, maybe soy milk as well. Again, like you were saying earlier, Aileen, just sort of maybe increasing some of the other legumes that we've mentioned um, would be a really good idea to, to do on a regular basis and eat it as part of your everyday food plan. So the things like the lentils, the beans and the peas, um, because um, that, that isn't they're, they're not uh, certainly not known to have to lead to any health concerns. So, um, so, so, so that would be my recommendations regarding soy. Um, having it from the 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 soybean, the whole bean, making sure it's fermented and buying organic where you can, and having it two to three times a week. So, Aileen, from there, shall we maybe move on now and um, and look at lignans. Yeah, so um, foods high in lignans are things like flaxseed, sesame seed, pumpkin seed, sunflower seed, and then things like berries, uh, tea and coffee. And, and also you could consider um, some whole grains like rye, oats and barley. So when we eat um, the lignin precursors, which are the, the, in the food, what happens is that bacteria in our intestines converts um, the phytoestrogenic food into some other compounds. So um, the, the ones that um, are associated with lignans are enterolignans, enterodiol, and enterolactone. And these compounds are then absorbed into the bloodstream. Now, lignans are um, the principal source of dietary phytonutrients phytoestrogens in the, the typical Western diet. So whereas in the Asian population, they're uh, a lot eating a lot of isoflavins in the Western world, um, we're, we're eating a lot of lignans typically. Um, that's a bit of a sweeping statement, I'm sure. But I think, you know, the foods that I've just mentioned, they're feature in the Western diet. So uh, that's probably why uh, that's the case. So one of the things that to bear in mind is our ability to metabolize lignans is really dependent on our gut bacteria. Um, so promoting a diverse and abundant uh, gut microbiome is key. And, and we, we've mentioned this many times in previous episodes. So the way to, to do that is to eat a wide range of plant foods regularly and, and some fermented foods as well. And they'll be really um, key and important to support your gut microbiome. By doing that, then your gut microbiome can uh, transform these lignans into um, the phytoestrogenic compounds that we've been talking about. So, you know, as we said uh, right at the beginning there, flaxseed is uh, it's probably the richest dietary source of plant lignans um, and its bioavailability is really enhanced by consuming it as either ground flaxseed or milled flaxseed. Um, so it's, it's, that's an important distinction to make. Mm, absolutely. And, you know, you said it's one of the richest dietary sources of the plant lignin zealing. Can you give everybody some ideas of the best way to eat flaxseed? Well, as I said, you know, it's best to have ground and it would be really best to freshly ground the flax seeds and doing that you will get the most potent nutritional benefit so the easiest way to do that is to grind the seeds and maybe a coffee or a spice grinder um, 
So that would be a way of doing it at home. And then what you should do is put in a glass jar and uh, with a screw top and keep it in the fridge, uh, but no longer for a few days. So the idea is just to grind enough for a few days and use it. Uh, that way. Um, and it's important to keep it in the fridge because that's going to keep it fresh. So when you're thinking about whole flax seeds, I often get asked, well, what's the difference between whole flax seeds and, and ground flax seeds and how should I use them? So the whole flax seeds, uh, you would use them for helping with digestion and alleviating constipation. So what you do with them is you would soak them in liquid um, and, um, you know, mix it in with a yogurt or a juice. Um, and that, that would be the way of using whole flax seeds. But when you are thinking about phytoestrogenic reasons for using uh, flaxseed, then that's the time to use ground flaxseeds. Now, I know that seems a big ask. It's like, oh, I haven't got enough to do. Do I need to grind flaxseeds as well? Um, but it isn't really that difficult. And you can get a grinder for uh, under 20 pounds and it literally takes a minute to grind the seeds and put them in an airtight jar in the fridge. Uh, you can buy the seeds already ground, um, but you might not just get the best therapeutic results because, you know, they've already been um, produced, if you like, and processed. Um, but if you are buying the pre-ground flax seeds, then just remember to keep them in the fridge because that's going to keep them fresh. So what, what I tend to do is just as a, a regular thing, I'll have a tablespoon of ground flaxseed every day. Um, so I've always got it available and it's just a, a habit. I sprinkle it onto yogurt, into porridge or into a juice or a smoothie. Um, that's the way I know that I'm getting um, the lignans um, from and, and the flaxseed is also a really good source of omega-3 fatty acids. So it's, you, you're getting something extra there too. Now, Another aspect of um, using um, seeds and flax seeds were, is to think about seed cycling as a potential tool for hormone balancing. Um, and we did an episode, uh, episode 43, which is called Food for Female Hormone Balancing. Now, that's uh, an episode worth revisiting if you're interested in finding out more about using seeds therapeutically. So I just thought I'd throw that one in as a, a, a reminder. Yeah, definitely, because there's um that there's a lot of information around that seed cycling and how it can be supportive. But just from what you've said, the flax seed as well, just introducing that, like you do, Aileen, on a regular basis as part of your daily um, nutritional plan, food plan, and that's just going to to, to help support that phytoestrogenic um, balance. So, um, thanks for that, Aileen. That was really interesting. So. We've chatted about isoflavins and lignans. What about the cumistins and the steel beans that you mentioned back at the beginning? What what can you tell us? Yeah, well, just in the interest of time, what I'll do is just mention the foods that contain these compounds. So the cumistins, um, you, you'll find in nuts, uh, green veggies like spinach and cabbage, um, alfalfa sprouts and, and other plant sprouts and the still beans I, I guess the most um, well-known still beans uh, is uh, reverse troll which is found in grapes and peanuts um, you know, I know a lot of uh, ladies think if they have a glass of red wine a day then that's topping up the reverse troll <laughs> I'm not sure whether that's the right approach but um, that's where you'll find it so they're all they're everyday foods basically um, it's just that it's important to feature them 
Absolutely. And I think that's a really good point to make, that they are everyday foods, you know, the things that people will have in the cupboards. It's just about getting them out and cooking with them. So thanks for that. Now, you have already mentioned a couple of ways of adding these phytoestrogenic foods into the food plan. Could could we maybe start and share some more ideas? Aileen, what, what ideas do you have? Because you're always good at food ideas. Oh, thank you. Well, I mean, as I said, I think, you know, my big suggestion is is try to find um, some of these foods that you can easily um, have regularly on a daily basis as additions to your meals. And then you know that you're going to be consistent. So some of the everyday foods for me are things like hummus. Um, I always suggest making homemade if you can. Again, it's not that difficult. Um, And using chickpeas and tahini, which has got the sesame seeds in, will provide isoflavins. Um, And I tend to just add hummus as a condiment to lots of my meals. You know, I find it goes well with eggs. I'll put a dollop in a bowl of soup. I'll have some on a cracker or an oat cake or maybe with some vegetable crudités. So, you know, I've always got some hummus on the go and and have some probably every day. Um, And then, you know, we talked about the ground flaxseed earlier. So that's an easy one to add to porridge, yogurt, smoothies, juices. Um, And if you're making sort of homemade crackers or flapjacks or bounce balls, adding it as an ingredient there will again um, just be an easy way of getting the flaxseeds in. Um, Berries we mentioned. Um, so I always have some frozen berries in the freezer and they're, you know, easy to, to get hold of. And they're a great addition to breakfast um, or to have as a snack, maybe with some yogurt or to add to a smoothie. And then finally, nuts and seeds. Uh, that They're a really easy one. So again, every day, I guess I'll have a tablespoon of seeds uh, on my salad or I'll add to soup or in my breakfast yogurt or porridge, whatever. Um, and I think that is just, an e- again, it's an easy thing. You can have a, a tub of mixed seeds and um, just have it in some form every day. Mm. So that's uh, that's some everyday things. But I, I, Karen, I just wondered if I could ask you about some soya-based recipe ideas, because I know that's something that, you know, we said earlier, you use regularly and you always come up with some nice ways of using them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, being vegetarian, one of my key challenges is to hit my protein target every day. And um, and also my other big challenge really is to find a meal that suits everyone in the family because we're not all vegetarians. So I do find that what I often do thinking about um, how I cook my meals and using soy, etc., is that um, I, I have a recipe that everybody enjoys, really, um, even if it doesn't include meat or fish. Um, or sometimes I'll make a meal base like a curry sauce or a stir fry, and then I'll cook the protein elements separately so everybody gets what they like. I might do some chicken on the side and they can just add a piece of chicken to their sauce, and then I will do my my soy or tempeh, and, and I can just add that. But sometimes they have to eat non-meat dishes that um, and that just keeps it really easy and everybody can eat the same thing. Now, one of my favourites um, is a nut crusted tempeh. It's something I've just found it 
found recently. And tempeh is that fermented um, soy product. Now, all you need to do is take slices of the tempeh, dip them in a, a marinade, and I tend to use a marinade of mustard, lemon, and garlic, and then coat with um, chopped or ground nuts. And um, I tend to use pistachios for this, just for the, 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 the flavor again. And all you then do is bake the slices in the, uh, the oven, and then you can serve it with a salad or with roasted vegetables, or sometimes I do have to do um, like brown rice or something for the family because they need something a bit bulkier. And um, and the other thing I like about it is that you can prepare it ahead and then just bake it before you eat it. So it's very, very easy. And another regular recipe of mine is scrambled tofu. And that's easy for a brunch meal. And all I tend to do there is just um, saute some chopped onions, garlic, red peppers, a little bit of turmeric as well. And then I'll add some um, crumbled firm tofu and cook that for uh, roughly about five minutes. Then top it with some spring onions and herbs. And voila, you know, you've got a really tasty brunch or it could be a breakfast or a, or a light lunch as well. So you know if you if you really like the sound of those recipes and you would you would like to get the recipes we do have them so please email us at um, hello at runnershealthhub.com and um, and actually if you would like to receive a recipe every week from us then you could subscribe to our mailing list and you can do that at our website at runnershealthhub.com so whether you just want these two or whether you would start you would like to start receiving one each week then get in touch with us and let us know so um Aileen, I think maybe what we could do now is round up with our ideas to add um to our to a meal plan for everyone to to maybe just think about um, when they go off from here. So, um, so what I'm thinking of here, I'll start with breakfast. So you could have their overnight oats, porridge, or yogurt with the ground flaxseed, the berries, and a seed mix. Or you could have the tofu scramble with a slice of sourdough toast and each of those are going to have um, good good um, levels of phytoestrogens in them. Aileen, could you maybe give um, some lunch ideas that we've talked about? Yeah, sure. And um, just a shout out for Karen. Her soya recipes are really good and she cooked some of them for me when we were away on our business retreat recently. So um, you know, do, do sign up for the recipes because they're great. Um, so at lunchtime, well, what I, I tend to do a lot at lunchtime, particularly in the autumn and the winter, I, I really like soups. And last weekend, actually, I made a lovely soup. Um, it was cauliflower, turmeric and spinach. And I added some silken tofu to it. Mm. And um, you can, and I, I actually, I, I added some chicken to it as well. But if you didn't want chicken, obviously, you would just uh, just let go of that. Um, and then I was on a bit of a roll with the soups. I was using up lots of stuff that was in the fridge. So I also made um, a pumpkin, tomato and lentil soup. So both of those soups would provide a good portion of phytoestrogens um so that's a again it's one of my easy ways of making sure that i'm getting uh things like beans lentils and tofu in um is to add them to soups so i'd just really like to take a, a second just to plug our free book uh which is top 10 soups for runners 
And uh, we recently did an episode about um, using soups uh, for your pre and post um, run fueling. And it was called Autumn Soups for Runners. Um, but the, the free ebook was designed to accompany that episode. And you can find it at our website, Runners Health Hub. Um, look at the free nutrition guide um, on the top menu bar and drop down. You'll find the, the soup book and just uh, send your email and we'll uh, send over the book to you. So if you need any soup inspiration, uh, go there. Um, so soup is a big favorite. Uh, my other favorite is to have a, a sort of a salad bowl. And what I was going to suggest for this menu would be a feta and edanami bean salad. Um, and what I tend to do is have the frozen edanami beans in my freezer. Um, so it's easy to um, get some beans out to add to a salad. Um, and I tend to add some pasta, uh, pesto rather, and some um, sun-dried tomatoes. And that gives it a nice sort of tangy flavor. And then I'll, I'll put it on a bed of rocket leaves and crumble some feta cheese on the top. Um, so couple of lunches for you there Karen. That all sounds really lovely and I have to say um, the cauliflower and turmeric soup and then the pumpkin tomato lentil it all sounds so warming and I could be doing with that just now. So, um, okay so just thinking about dinner choices you could think of maybe um, a curry or a stir fry and um, I would tend to use that with tofu or tempeh or you could try the nut crusted tempeh recipe as well and um, and you could pop that in in fact you could probably pop that nut crusted tempeh into the stir fry uh, towards the end so um, so lots of different ideas to get those phytoestrogens um, in at dinner time as well um, Aileen what about snacks um, well, the snacks are just the things I think we've already mentioned. So hummus with carrots is an easy one or any kind of, you know, you could have any kind of crudités like pepper or cucumber. Um, that would be good. And possibly a, a natural yogurt with berries and seeds or maybe make up a trail mix of pumpkin and sunflower seeds and nuts um, as something to, to nibble on when you're, you're hungry in between in between meals. Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully we've given everybody some great ideas to go away with and um, and put into place and just think about how you could add um, phytoestrogens into your diet on a on a on a regular basis. So lots to take away from today's episode. And Aileen, what would be your suggestion of one key action that our listeners could t take today after listening to this episode? I think my one key uh, action point would be to add a portion of ground flaxseed to the to food plan every day. Um, it's not a difficult thing to do. And um, yeah, either buy some ground flaxseed or buy some whole flaxseed and grind it yourself. And remember, everyone, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Thank you so much for joining us today and we really hope that you found our insights useful. We've got a question for you. Would you like to know how to put our advice into practice and how to take some easy actions? If your answer is yes, then please don't miss the opportunity to sign up for our next free online training session. It's going to be on Zoom and we'll be there to share more steps in the Healthy Woman, Healthy Runner method with you. 
and most important of all, we'll be there in person, so we'll be able to answer any of your questions on the spot during the training. Karen and I absolutely love podcasting, but we love interacting with you even more, so we can't wait to meet you in our Zoom room. If you'd like to register, it's very easy. All you need to do is look out at the episode show notes, uh, look at the top of the page and click the booking link there and we'll send all the details to you. So if you'd like to be a healthy woman, healthy runner for many years to come, please come and join us and don't miss out on our next free training. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.